The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Uh, We are back. And it's really nice to be back. And it's nice to be back on this Wednesday, March 23rd, with my good friend, Thomas Lavero. You know, you said, when you said to me a few weeks ago, you said, boy, you got a lot of time to be watching a lot of things and reading a lot of things these days. <laughs> Remember that? Yes, I do. Uh, did I tell you about watching the first episode of Winning Time, the rise and fall of the Lakers dynasty on HBO after I watched the first episode a few weeks ago? No. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know the series. It's based on a book by Jeff Perlman. Absolutely. Tommy, have you watched it? You haven't watched it. I haven't watched it yet. Major recommendation, five-star recommendation to watch Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty on HBO. I watched the first episode before I went away a couple of weeks ago um, and then missed the second one, and I got caught up last night with both episodes. You're breathing very hard into into your microphone right now. Are you outside? Are you on a walk? What are you doing right now? I'm everywhere. Am I doing okay now? You're much better now. Um, I'm just happy to be breathing. (laughs) Well, that's always a good start to a day, isn't it? Um, Tommy, this is so well done. It is nothing like what I expected. Um, It is, first of all, the the first episode included uh, Jack Kent Cook. Um, as as you know, he was the owner of the Lakers. He was owner of the Great right. Western Forum. He sold it to Jerry Buss uh, and then became, you know, in 1979, the majority owner of the Redskins at that point. Michael O'Keefe plays Jack Kent Cook in the opening episode. And I think I mentioned this on the podcast, and I, I, I thought it was with you, but that's fine that it wasn't. Um, he makes Jack Kent Cook's... Um, uh, he, he plays Jack Kent Cook as one of the, the true worst human beings that we've ever had on the planet Earth. Uh, now I'm three episodes in, and there are things that I'm learning. Let me just first mention, this is a combination of mockumentary, documentary, dark comedy, 
And yeah, I guess that's what it's kind of a combination of. John C. Riley plays Jerry Buss uh, brilliantly. One of my favorite actors. <clears throat> He's John so C. good. Riley. This guy, Quincy Isaiah, plays Magic Johnson. Um, he's very good. Uh, and it's just, I, I, like, I thought it looked like kind of a clownish thing in the promos. And then when I was in L.A. last week, you know, you see the billboards everywhere. So my son and I last night at home got caught up watching episodes two and three. And it was, at the end of it, it was like, I wish I could binge this show right now the rest of it but we're into you know a week by week thing on hbo i think everybody out there listening whether you're an nba fan a lakers fan it doesn't matter this is really really well done they switch be uh you know in in their shooting of this they switch between like flashbacks and different cultural events um into the actual um, you know, the actual script of what's going on. It's just so well done. Adam McKay directed the first episode. You know, he directed Moneyball, you know, Saturday Night Live guy. Uh, Jonah Hill uh, directed the second episode. I actually don't know who directed the third episode that I watched last night. But <clears throat> I'm learning a lot about this period of time. The NBA, it was thought time, Tommy, in 1979 before Magic Johnson was drafted by the Lakers and Larry Bird came out. He was actually drafted the year before by the Celtics in the supplemental draft, I guess, um, which put him with the Celtics uh, the following year. But this was 1979 after Magic faced Bird in the NCAA final. And the NBA was on the verge of potentially going out of business. It was hemorrhaging money. Well, according according to Adam McKay, it wasn't in it wasn't in great shape, but it wasn't going out of business. Look, I've heard a lot of negative reviews about it. Really, and one in particular, how they dump on Jerry West. Oh my God! And I think even that's over the top, but it's very entertaining. Okay. You, you, I'm gonna watch it, but I've I've heard not, I have not heard good things about it. Oh, I I've read a lot of really good reviews. Now, what I have read is that they've gone to the extreme with some of the characters, like Jerry West in particular. They make him out to be a crazy person, completely over the top nuts. Um, but 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 there's also a lot of historical, you know. Uh, uh, documentary fact in this as well, like Jerry West didn't want to draft Magic Johnson. Jerry Buss kind of forced it. Number two is, did you know how close the Lakers were to hiring Jerry Tarkanian before Magic's rookie year? I didn't remember that. Did you? No, I don't remember that. More importantly, Jerry Tarkanian's best friend, his financial advisor, his life advisor at UNLV was a guy by the name of Vic Weiss. Are you familiar with what happened to Vic Weiss? No. Um, This isn't, look, you're going to watch his show. This is going to sound a little bit like a spoiler, but I'm just going to give you this one piece. Jerry Tarkanian was on the verge of taking the Lakers job. Jerry Buss had convinced him to take the job. Vic Weiss 
was very much in, in, in involved in helping Tark or convince Tark to take the Lakers' job for a shitload of money. Back then it was $750,000 um, a year. Um, and Vic Weiss was assassinated before Tark took the job formally. And the belief is, although the assassination's never been solved, the, the murder's never been solved, that it was the mob because they did not want Tark to leave Vegas. They loved Tark. Tark was a hero in Vegas. And they blamed Weiss for talking Tarkanian into taking the Lakers' job. And before Tark actually signed on the dotted line, they killed Weiss and Tark decided to go back to UNLV. That sounds like a bit of a stretch. Maybe. The mob usually doesn't kill people because... Uh, they don't want their favorite coach to leave. <laughs> you would know. You you stole seating charts from mob luncheons and hotels in in the state of Pennsylvania. But I looked this up, and and there's a big you know thing on Vic Weiss murder. How did he die? Who killed him? And it's still an unsolved murder. Um, but there's a lot of speculation that it did have to do with Tarkanian potentially leaving Vegas. Okay. Uh, it was a hideous. Okay. It was a hideous murder, by the way. Um, Adrian Brody pay, uh, plays Pat Riley. Um, I think you'll like this. I really think you'll like it. Maybe if it's historically inaccurate, you won't. But I think you're going to love the way it's shot and the way it's acted. Will you give okay. it a try? I, of course, I'm going to watch it. Yes. Okay. Look, I just got done watching. Uh, it's, it's a couple years old. It's a two-season series on Netflix called Secret City out of Australia, mm-hmm. which is really, really good. Okay. Really good. So, But now I'm going to catch up on the HBO uh, winning time. Yeah, I, like I can't wait for the next episode because in the first three episodes, they haven't even gotten to the beginning of the 1979 season, which, as we both know, ended with a Lakers title. Um, there's a lot of stuff with Red Auerbach and Jerry Buss early on, too, and Jeannie is a young, you know, kind of teenaged girl um, working in the organization as well. It, I, I don't know. I, I have to – I guess I've got to go back – and do the fact versus fiction thing on this. There's no doubt that there's some exaggeration. I talked about it on the radio show today, and I'm telling you, I've gotten besieged with tweets about how much people love the show. Um, and uh, and so I, I think you'll like it. I, trust me, I was very skeptical going in. Um, but anyway... Uh, winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty on HBO. It's a recommendation from me. How are you? I've missed you. By the way, uh, you know, I'm just looking this up and, uh, just as a, 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 a note of warning to you. Yeah. Vic Weiss was probably killed because of the gambling debts he owed the mob. Okay. So keep that in mind, boss. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's fine, but Jerry Tarkanian was pursued. Here's a, here's a did a mob hit really prevent Jerry Tarkanian from coaching the Lakers? 
In actuality, it's mostly true. Tarkanian had, in fact, been hired by the Lakers shortly before Weiss's murder. His grief and shock over the death of his friend, combined with his desire to stay in Las Vegas, ultimately led him to turn down the, the gig. A mere three days earlier, on the evening of June 14th, Weiss had seemed to be the happiest man on the planet, a 51-year-old sports promoter who served as, as Jerry Tarkanian's representative had bounded out of the front entrance of the Beverly Comstock Hotel, euphoric in knowledge that his client was about to be named the new coach of the Lakers. Uh, those were the words Cook and Buss had just used during their meeting. We're excited to have Jerry as the new coach of the Lakers. Weiss, in fact, uh, was found dead in the trunk of, of his car on June 17th, 1979. The June 14th meeting with Buss was the last time he had been seen alive. So Okay. Um, so there you go, boss. Um, who knows what's true? It's entertaining as hell. And you know that the best is yet to come because the Lakers really were at that. Look, Tommy, 1978, the Bullets won their title. 1979, the Bullets and Sonics played in a rematch of the NBA Finals, and the Sonics won. In 1978 and 1979, NBA playoff games were being shown on tape delay. Do you know that Game 6 of the 1980 Finals between the Lakers and the 76ers, which was the famous Magic Johnson 42-point game playing center for Kareem, was shown on tape delay on CBS unless you were in the L.A. and Philadelphia markets. That's crazy. I remember... Look, remember, in in the late 70s, uh, the uh, NBA was dealing with the whole... uh, with the the, uh, drug thing that was coming out of Phoenix, the whole issue with the drug scandal. I don't know what you're talking about. Phoenix with the Suns. I don't remember that. Yeah, there were a couple... Yeah, that that's what really was supposedly cutting, you know, putting the NBA at risk at the time. There was like a real culture of drug use in the league at the time. Well, I I mean, I've certainly heard of those stories. I don't remember the Phoenix story specifically, but Tommy, the other issue, and this is brought up in this um, in this show, and you know, this is something that I've read about as well. The league was considered to be too black for the time and that that was not helping in you know with with attendance and with ratings and Larry Bird's given a lot of credit for you know along with Magic um who was very much um kind of a crossover figure like OJ Simpson and others of the time um you know Magic and Bird together given obviously the ultimate along with David Stern I think in thinking about this for the resuscitation of the NBA or the, or the saving of the NBA. And maybe you're right. Maybe it wasn't about to go out of business, but it was probably on the verge of retracting. It was in trouble. It, it, it was in trouble. after it had, it had, in the late 60s and early 70s, because of the Knicks, it had, you know, undergone a resurgence of late. But, it, you know, after 75, it started to go down the tubes. Yeah, I mean, the the Bullets-Seattle back-to-back championship series had to be absolute duds for the NBA when you think about it. 
because you had Walton and the Trailblazers against the 76ers with Dr. J in 1977. And that was exciting for basketball fans because it was Dr. J. Tommy, was that his first year in the NBA? I think it was. It might have been. Him and George McGinnis. They were were teammates. Right. Um, And that would have been the first year, right? Yeah, because the ABA ended in 76. So it would have been the first year of the um, ABA-NBA merger. Dr. J goes to the 76ers, and it's the 76ers against Bill Walton's Blazers in the final. And I bet that, you know, if you were to look back, that was a very popular series followed by two years of watching games on tape delay at 11.30 at night on CBS. Um, I remember that Game 7 of Washington-San Antonio in the Eastern Conference Finals, even in the D.C. market, was not shown live on television. It was tape delayed. That's that's stunning. I know. When you think about how it is today. Um... Anyway, I like I really really like the show. It's it's good to be back. By the way, a quick thank you to Tim Murray and Aaron Oster. Tim and Aaron are obviously not only friends, but Aaron produces the podcast for filling in on the days that I was out. If you can hear it in my voice, yeah, it was a fun trip out west to LA, Tommy, and then to Palm Springs for a wedding where there were several late nights, lots of uh golf, Lots of parties, lots of alcohol, <laughs> and when I got back, um, I was definitely feeling it. You know, it was like uh, you and I talked yesterday um, briefly. It's like some of those trips when you're with your boys and you get back from Vegas and you need a vacation when oh, you yeah. get back from Vegas. It, it was kind of like that. Yep. The older you get, the more important recovery time is. Yeah, I guess. Um, how have you been? Me? I've been great. How's your tooth? I've been doing great. Oh, yeah, I told you. I, I had to go to the dentist uh, because while I was on my uh, Lavero Southern Soul Tour, uh, one a piece of my back tooth just, like, came out. And that had never happened to me before. I mean, I, I usually have pretty good teeth. I don't have that many cavities. And I take good care of them. And this is <laughs> a piece of a... Of a a filling just popped out. So I went to the dentist, and, you know, they're going to put a filling in, but uh, I don't have any pain. There's no nerve exposed. So, I mean, I'm doing fine. That's good to know that you've never had any problem with your teeth because you've had other yeah. issues. And you know what? Yeah. I know, many other issues. Have... Well, God didn't take, you know, God didn't totally hate me. <laughs> he gave me decent teeth. Have you been a flosser your and whole you life? you know something? What? I've never flossed in my life. Are you serious? Not once. Not once. <laughs> well, so you've never flossed. What have you done to keep no. up your dental health? I don't know. I brush my teeth. Yeah. I use mouthwash. I brush my teeth twice a day. I use mouthwash. Right. That's it. You have healthy gums? Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. Right. Very good. Um, and you know what? I didn't go to a dentist till I was 25 years old. <laughs> oh, great! And well, it's good. It's a good thing you were you were gifted healthy uh, teeth and gums. <laughs> Is that true? You never went to the dentist until you yes. were 25. Absolutely. That must have been Wouldn't, a hell of a cleaning. 
Yeah, well, it was a hell of a cleaning, and I also had to take my wisdom teeth out uh, at the time. And uh, that was not pleasant. That was basically my second or third trip ever to the dentist, and I'm getting four wisdom teeth taken out. Do you know I still have my wisdom teeth? Didn't have to have them pulled. I I guess I should be grateful for that um, because I know it's not the most comfortable of things to have done. No. So. No, it wasn't back then, and I had, and I had a dentist who who wouldn't put me to sleep while he was doing it. So it wasn't painful, uh-huh. but it was the most uncomfortable feeling you can imagine. I mean, I'm feeling him breaking off the tooth, you know, as 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 he's pulling it out, and I'm yelling, and he's yelling at me to stop yelling. Who who doesn't? Did he numb it up at least? Yeah, he numbed it up, but I was awake for the whole thing. Uh, what was this, like a, a part dentist, part, you know, insurance agent? What is, what Listen, is... I, had, I had an Uncle Rocco mm-hmm. who pulled his own teeth with, with, uh, with pliers. Oh, my God. Tom Hanks style. Yes. In Castaway. Yeah. Wasn't pliers. Yes. He, he basically tied some sort of, you know, bamboo to... Uh, God, that was painful. Can you imagine being a castaway and having a terrible toothache and needing to yank your own tooth? That was probably the worst part of that three-year, uh, you know, uh, castaway situation for him. Um, that movie was a pretty good movie, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, it's Tom Hanks. You, you really can't go wrong with Tom Hanks. I think people also have this um, fantasy of what it would be like to live on one of those islands and try to survive. You know, it, for me, it, the only way that it would really work is if there was a freshwater source and a couple of really good, like, fruit trees and maybe some fishing equipment already on the island. Then I'd be in good shape. Um, other than that, I could have never done what he pulled off, but I do think that people have that fantasy of what would it be like if I was on a deserted Island and had to survive? Could I do it? I don't know. Um, I think, I think commander fans have that fantasy. You wouldn't need a dentist. That's stuck on a desert Island. Yeah. Uh, stuck on a desert Island. All right. We got a lot to, to catch up on. I mean, while I was away. So much happened. Um, but I think, you know, more than anything is the story continues to be kind of the quarterback situation. It's funny because so much happened in the first few days that I was out last week, football wise. I'll tell you, just to be totally candid, I probably watched less of the NCAA tournament in the first weekend than I've ever, um, you know, uh, watched. I, I, it just was not doable with all of the family-related activities. You know, I watched some of it, and I had, by the way, Jared Bynum, who's the point guard for Providence on the radio show this morning. So, you know, go to the team980.com. Jared played at Georgetown Prep, um, was a first-team All-Met, and has been a leader for Ed Cooley's team, who's into the Sweet 16 against Kansas on Friday night. In fact, Tommy, I I was sharing with Jared, and my son played on on that 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 Georgetown prep team that finished number two in the city. Jared was a first team all met his senior year. Listen to this on the on the uh, all met team 2018. Jared Bynum, who's the, the the point guard for Providence in the Sweet 16, 
Um, Justin Moore, who played at DeMatha, who is playing for Villanova. Jeremy Roach, who is playing for Duke. Three players in the Sweet 16, not to mention a guy like Miles Dredd, who played at Penn State. Then in the, on the second team, the second team, you had uh, Brandon Slater, who's in the Sweet 16. Third team, Hunter Dickinson and Terrence Williams, both of whom play for Michigan in the Sweet 16. And you can keep going down. It's just amazing the talent that comes out of this area uh, year in and year out. But that was a spectacular year. But I haven't, I, I didn't really get into the tournament the first weekend. I know there were a lot of upsets in my pool. Um, was completely blown up. I had, uh, you know, Iowa, Kentucky, I think in the final, they both lost in the first round. Um, And my formula that you love every year that produces the teams that can win it. Um, Kansas is still there. Duke is still there. That's it. Kentucky, Iowa, and Baylor were the others. Two of them got knocked out in the first round. The other got knocked out in the second round. Um, But there was a lot of football last week. And then not so much this week in terms of Washington, but I think the conversation is still about the quarterback, right? Yes. By the way, I'm still working on on putting together uh, my bracket, just in case you're interested. Yeah, no, I am. I'm still working on, on putting mine together. Well, don't get it. To, so I'll uh, let you know when it's done. Yeah, don't get it done too quickly. You you should wait a couple of weeks okay. and then present it to everybody. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the quarterback. Uh, well, the quarterback is, is is yeah. I mean, look, even when the quarterback is John Beck and Rex Grossman, it's big news. So when you trade for somebody like Carson Wentz, of course it's 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 going to be it's going to dominate the conversation. Let me um, let me begin with this because we're going to do football here in this opening segment, uh, and then I will get to the Kevin Willard hiring in College Park. Um, next segment. He was also on the radio show uh, this morning as well. Um, you can catch that on the team980.com. Um, a couple of things real quickly since I've been out. Number one, J.D. McKissick leaves and then comes back. Uh, and then Brandon Bean uh, basically um, blames the team for it. Uh, personally, I think that's uh, kind of crying um, over spilt milk. I think it's the agent's fault. Brandon Bean doubled down on that on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, blaming the club uh, for, I guess, breaking protocol. Uh, meantime, Randy Gregory you know, committed to Dallas and then changed his mind. It's happened several times in this offseason. Um, bottom line is the agent needs to take the hit on the McKissick thing, in my opinion. Matt Ioannidis got released. Um, Tim Settle went to Buffalo. Eric Flowers got released while it was away. They signed Andrew Norwell. You know, it's funny, all the um, pimping for Washington with Albert Breer and Mike Silver and others about what a great opportunity it was. One of the first things mentioned, Tommy, is, well, they had the sixth-ranked uh, PFF offensive line last year with great I know, depth. I know. And meantime, you know, yeah. Flowers is gone, Sheriff is gone, and we don't know if Lucas will be there. Um, but, uh, you know, they, uh, they re-signed Bobby McCain. Um, and they lost, you know, like Ricky Seals-Jones. I think they wanted him. He ended up signing with the Giants. DeShazer Everett, your guy got released, um, finally. Uh, Cam Sims re-signed. There were a lot of things that went on, but I, I wanted to focus in on this, and I'm going to read you. Um, I'm 
going to read you uh, this note that I got from Patio. It was a long note, um, but I'm just going to uh, break it down for you here clear, uh, quickly because I think it's it's interesting. He said, Sheehan, I loved your conversation with Kime yesterday. That was on radio. He said, I agree with you on Matt Ryan, just so everybody that's listening to the podcast that doesn't listen to the radio show to me, it's not even a debate. Matt Ryan's a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. You guys are high if you think Carson Wentz is Absolutely. better than Matt Ryan. Okay? I mean, I'm not saying that Washington had a chance at Matt Ryan. Um, and I don't, you know, if, if you, uh, and, and waiting for Matt Ryan may have been dicey, uh, but I don't think Atlanta wanted to trade Matt Ryan when Washington traded for Carson Wentz. It was only became it only became that way when they failed on Deshaun Watson, and then they decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and start our rebuild now. But I, I don't, I watch football. Okay, Matt Ryan's a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has an upside, and he's younger, and these are all valid reasons for preferring the trade of Wentz. To Ryan, but don't tell me that Carson Wentz has been a better quarterback than Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was a fucking MVP. He quarterbacked a team, you know, and and you know what? Carson Wentz was on his way to being an MVP. That's fair, too. Uh, Matt Ryan, to me, um, has been a better quarterback. And if you had given me the choice of Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz for the next year or two, uh, especially given that Matt Ryan only cost Indy a third-round pick and $24 million on their cap instead of two third-rounders, or really a second and a third-rounder and $24 million, I would have taken Ryan, and then I would have drafted somebody and said, all right, let's do this. First of all, you don't have the risk with Ryan in terms of whatever is the personality-slash-leadership flaws. I mean, he's a leader. I mean, he's respected. You know, Nobody's tried to yeah. run him off after a year. Um, so a lot of you have, have said, you know, and, and reached out to me and said, you guys, you're nuts on Matt, Matt Ryan. No, I'm not. That's my, my opinion. Matt Ryan's a better quarterback. Anyway, back to this letter. It's clear patio writes that they panicked a little bit on the Wentz trade, but aren't you glad that they did? What if they, meaning Washington right now, were Carolina And he said, as you said, this was on the radio show yesterday, if they were Carolina, meaning you were stuck with Taylor Heineke and nobody that you got in free agency or via a trade, and it was Taylor Heineke in the draft, which is where the focus would be, you and Ben and Kime and Nikki and everybody else would be crushing them. Uh, my thought is I'm glad they reacted even if it was emotionally. It was better than not reacting at all. Now, there was a lot more to this letter, including some comments about you, um, which were very positive and about the podcast. Um, but I don't want to read those right now. I don't want this to be a self-serving segment because I wanted to focus on this. I think he's right. I think if Washington hadn't traded for Wentz and we were sitting here today on this first podcast back in a week and everybody, and let's just say Carolina made the Wentz trade and Washington was sitting here with Taylor Heineke and now focused on the draft, I think that, that people like me and others, that we would be critical of them. And my criticism would be they can't get anybody to play for this team. They can't. I mean, they promised but, this. But and that they, criticism, 
that criticism still exists, they had to get a hostage. <laughs> well, yes, the panic slash desperation move. But the point yeah. is, if they didn't get the hostage, would we still be crucifying them right now? Look, you're, you're, that, that's true. All that's true, and all that illustrates is how fucked up, how totally fucked up this team is, that, that you know, that everything, I mean, you're at the point where they're in such a corner now, they have painted themselves into such a corner that there's no way out. You know, so anything they do, whether it's nothing or a desperation move is going to receive criticism. He's absolutely right. That doesn't make making the decision right. I mean, at least the players in the locker room love Taylor Heineke. I'm not you changing. Know, we'll see what happens with Carson Wentz. I'm not changing my mind on the Wentz trade. I don't like the trade. I think it is a, you know, I think the odds are stacked against it working out. I do. Now, I've also said, and I believe, that it is an upgrade over what they have and that he's got some talent, and, you know, there's always a chance it could work here. I mean, not many things do work here when they don't work elsewhere, but there's still a chance. The guy is only 30 yes, years is. old, and he's got talent. There, there is a chance, but uh, you know, have you ever heard anyone in the league in the past five years or 10 years or 15 years say, the player, you know where's the place you want to go to get right? Washington. That's where you want to get your career right. I'd recommend you go there. Yeah, I um, I don't think that I, I don't love the trade. I you know whether they were negotiating against themselves or not, you know, and the reporting is that they weren't. I still have the same feeling I had the day that it was announced that. For a guy that was probably going to be released, and maybe he would have been traded to somebody else, you usually don't take back all of a $28 million salary cap hit. Um, and, you know, the fact that Indy basically got got Matt Ryan for a third rounder, I know there's a, a difference in age. I understand that. Um, by the way, I think he's a perfect fit for Indianapolis, and I think Indianapolis has a pretty good team on paper with Matt Ryan next yes, year. Yes, they do. Uh, but, um, but I also agree with Patty O, who the, the, the gentleman, I think it's a gentleman because he spells it P-A-D-D-Y. I think that's the male spelling, right, of Patty. I don't even know. Is that true or not? I, I think he's male. If it's not, uh, thank you, Patty. Uh, either way. But I think he's right that given all of the posturing and the promising and the pitching on what they were going to do at quarterback and how they were going to swing big, if they had landed nothing and they were sitting there like Carolina is right now with Sam Darnold after, you know, missing on Wilson, missing on Watson, missing on, you know, almost everybody, that we would also be killing them. And I think that that's a, a fair thing. And so his point is, from their standpoint anyway, it's better that they acted than didn't act, even if it was out of desperation. Okay. Now, yes. that leads me to this, Tom. That leads me to this. 
two things that I want to touch on. One is some of the stuff that Ron Rivera said last week to all of the reporters that he talked about, because I haven't had a chance to weigh in on this. And two um, is uh, the, the notion that because they traded for Wentz and gave up these picks, that they shouldn't draft a quarterback. Um, I'll get to that secondly in, in the, in the segment, uh, coming up here, but I wanted to read from John Kime's story, which I read over the weekend, um, about, uh, it's a, it's a story that, that John wrote on ESPN.com titled how Joe Gibbs film study and analytics led the Washington commanders to Carson Wentz. And he has this thing, this section in here about the Joe Gibbs meeting. You read this, right? I think we talked about this. I think you yes, read I this. Did. Um, he, yes. he flew to Charlotte in January to visit with Gibbs. He spent the day with Gibbs, two hours of the day, devoted to one topic, finding a quarterback. Gibbs told Rivera how he would put up a wish list, numbering each quarterback in order of desire. Gibbs told him how he'd go down the list one at a time until they found their guy. They talked about what Gibbs looked for in a quarterback. Gibbs relayed how he loved Joe Theismann's leadership, but his next two Super Bowl quarterbacks were bigger, Doug Williams and Mark Rippon. One thing we talked about was size, so they had the ability to look over the top, Rivera said. If he's shorter, you've got to make sure that they've got great movement skills. After that meeting, Kime writes, Rivera put down the traits they wanted. Size, athletic traits, arm talent, quick twitch throws. Then they looked to see who checked the most boxes. While size was important, they didn't want to overlook someone who wasn't the desired height of six foot three. But if a quarterback didn't have the height, he had to show good pocket movement and the ability to find and create passing lanes. That led them to a list of eight quarterbacks, including Houston's Deshaun Watson. The first two were obvious, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Carson Wentz was on this list. Kime told me that he thought two others that they reached out to at least inquire about were Matt Ryan, this was early on when Atlanta wasn't interested, and Kirk Cousins, believe it or not, who Minnesota, you know, Kime believes, told them they were not going to trade from Minnesota. Um, what I find interesting about this is that for Joe Gibbs, leadership has always been paramount at the quarterback position. I remember when I had him on the show prior to Rivera starting his first season or first training camp, and I asked him about Dwayne Haskins, and he said the number one thing Ron and the staff will have to find out, and sooner rather than later, is does Dwayne Haskins have the leadership ability? It was as close to criticism as you'll ever hear Joe publicly on anybody. Like I could sense from Joe's tone. I'll never forget this because I talked about it um, after that. Um, Joe was essentially saying, I doubt that Dwayne Haskins has the leadership ability and they need to find that out quickly because if he doesn't, he's not their guy. Despite, by the way, the size, the right. arm strength, the physical traits. I guess what was interesting about this is the thing that he didn't take away from Gibbs from this day because he traded for Wentz was Joe Theismann's leadership importance. Yeah, I mean, well, but, but again, when you're desperate, you can't, 
you can't check every box on your list, it right? Con- it confirms the desperation, the panic after they didn't get Russell Wilson, yes. who, by the way, doesn't fill any of the physical traits that they may have been looking for, but does have, obviously, at five foot 11, six feet, the good pocket movement and the ability to find and create passing lanes. But I just think that, you know, if you spent all day with Gibbs, Gibbs had to tell him again, leadership, you got to have the guy in the locker room that people connect to and people believe in. And there have been two straight examples where that, you know, regardless of what I've heard people say over and over again, it was Ursay who wanted him out. It was Ursay who wanted him out. Really? The general manager threw him under the bus publicly. The head coach apologized publicly for vouching for him. And that, that's, you know, after all of the Philadelphia stuff that came out. Look, I'm not saying that... that yeah, you know... Yeah, go ahead. Look, I mean, my point... I, I, my, my main defense uh, of, of responding to the idea that Ursay wanted him out is, I've, I, in my experience... I don't remember a head coach in the history of this league who loved a quarterback like Wright supposedly loved Carson Wentz, and then the owner would trade him. And and then the coach would just accept it. Uh, unless it was related to money, I don't ever remember a situation where a head coach had his quarterback, the guy he wanted, and the owner said, I'm getting rid of him. Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head. No. Um, what, no. Are, what are the biggest quarterback-for-quarterback quarterback trades in the history of the game? Not that this was one. Was Sonny Norm Sneed one of the biggest quarterbacks? Yes, that, that was a good one. That was a big one. Two starters, yeah. And what? Norm Sneed had a decent NFL career. Obviously not the career that Sonny had. But uh, he had a decent NFL career. Uh, I'm like. I'm trying to think if there were any others off the top of my head. You had Jared Goff for Matt Stafford, right? Right. You know? Those um, were two starters. Yeah, I'm looking I'm 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 looking it up because there I think we're missing one. I think we're missing one. I'll I'll find it. Something from way back okay. when. Um but anyway, uh Yeah, so th- th- that was I, I, I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree. I think the people that are trying to rationalize in their own mind that Wentz is, you know, not as much of a risk because it was Ursay who wanted him out. I think that's a real stretch. Um, n- number two from the Kime story in particular, and it's kind of a combination of the Kime and, and even some of the stuff that Ben Standy got in the Athletic, which was outstanding as well. But. He had a, um, a, a, a section of the column titled The Conversations. And Kime wrote, During the search, Rivera said he received a balanced scouting report on all facets of Wentz. He talked to Doug Peterson and Frank Reich, two of Wentz's former head coaches. Both praised Wentz, extolling his work ethic and saying he wants to please people. It was very interesting, Rivera said, of what he heard. When you talk to certain people, talk to some coaches he's had in the past that I know well and listen to what they have to say, it was contradictory to what was happening. Washington also felt its locker room with low-key veterans would work well with Wentz. And Rivera noticed that after the trade, one of the Colts' captains, Darius Leonard, their linebacker, tweeted in support of Wentz. 
Rivera said the first call he received after the trade was from Reich. Frank was tremendous, Rivera said. After we made the trade, he said, you're going to love this guy. He's been a good person first and foremost. I want you to know that. My intention was to reach out to him, but he called to congratulate me. After the trade, Rivera had one more conversation with Gibbs, who happened to be in Washington for an event. Rivera said the first thing he told Gibbs was this, we got our guy. This this just kind of made me, like he also told Ben Standig, you guys have questions about him. I don't. I'm well. Apparently, they don't. They don't have questions about him, because not many were asked at the press conference last week. Tell me what that means, because I I saw a lot well, of the uh, tweeted out resp- responses. I did not watch the press conference. I'm going to go back okay. and watch it. I promise. I'm looking for something specific, because we're talking with some something. To me, there's only one issue that really counts in that press conference, and those are the questions about Carson Wentz's leadership, the questions of in Philadelphia where teammates accused him of being selfish. You know, those those are the issues I'm looking for. There was a question, uh, one of the early questions, on how he was, uh, if he was surprised how the way things went in Indianapolis and what he wants to show here. So every time there was a question, even alluding to something went wrong in Indianapolis, it was always couched with a positive, like, what do you want to show here? And uh, he said he was surprised by the way things went. Uh, And then he was asked on what he thinks happened in Indianapolis. Uh, He responded, it's a great question. It's a, a completely fair question. And sometimes I wonder the same, to be honest. And then he goes on to give a, a non-specific answer. And then the next question is, on being a man of faith and how he has learned through tough times. There you go. I, I don't see... Uh, let me just say one thing real quickly. I want to make sure everybody's clear on this. I'm not dismissing the possibility that he could play well here and that it might even be something that turns out to work out. I wouldn't bet on that. You know, I'm not wishy-washy straddling the fence on this. You know, if I really feel strongly one way or the other, I'll say it like I did many years with Kirk Cousins and others. I'm I'm not a big fan of the trade at all, but he has talent and he's better than what they have. I also would just say, Tommy, in reading some of his responses, I thought that they were okay responses. Now, maybe your issue is more with that he wasn't pressed on some of this stuff enough? Yes. Yes. I mean, specifically. I mean, you know, teammates said you were selfish. Teammates said you lacked accountability. Yeah. I mean, there was another question said, uh, on reports questioning his leadership, that was the question. And uh, he said, well, for one, reports are reports, and there's truth in some of all those things. If we were in this business trying to combat and argue every report, we'd run out of things to say. And then he went on to give a, a nondescript answer. The following question is, 
how it motivates him when two teams got rid of him in a two-year span. <laughs> well. You uh, know? I mean, every time they, they even backed him up against the ropes, they pulled him away and said, come back to the middle of the ring. We're, we're a friendly bunch. Yeah. I had a big problem I'm, with it. I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch um, that uh, because I think um, Tone – it has a lot to do with it, and I, I'll be interested in the questions too. Um, I, you know, back to back to the Rivera comments here. This is why I bring them up. First of all, I, I said this yesterday on radio. When I read this, it immediately reminded me of, as we do on this show often, because we're both Office fans. Um, it was when Joe Bennett walked in after the acquisition of Dunder Mifflin. Uh, for the first day in the Scranton office. And Jim and Michael were trying to explain how they are each co-managers. Remember, you know, Jim says, I handle oh, yeah. the day-to-day and Michael handles the big picture stuff. And yeah, Joe yeah. and Joe Bennett, played by Kathy Bates brilliantly, by the way, said, you can't give me gravy and tell me it's jelly because gravy ain't sweet. Um, to which Michael, by the way, says, and I had to look this one up because it's such a great line. Um, you know, when, when he's, he, she says, somebody's going to have to be the manager and somebody's have to have to go back to sales. And Michael says, well, I humbly accept the management position. And then he, and Jim says, well, why would you do that? And he said, well, because Jim, where I come from, he says, where I come from, two types of folk, those who ain't and those who are knee high to a grasshopper, which type ain't you ain't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one of the great, I mean, how many great Michael Scott scenes are there? But that was hysterical. But I kept thinking like, hey, Ron, I, I love you. I, I think you're a good coach. And I'm, and I, and I've been on board with you, but you, you can't, you can't tell me that you're giving me jelly when it's gravy because gravy ain't sweet. Like Frank Wright yeah. called you up to tell you what a great guy you got. Well, then why didn't he keep him? I, I mean, yeah. why didn't he fight for him? Why didn't he fight like hell for him? Doug Peterson yeah. called you up and they both praised. Well, I mean, Doug Peterson was out, so it was a new group. But really, Philadelphia loved him so much that they were willing to take the biggest salary cap hit in history until the, uh, until the Falcons just took it with the trading of Matt Ryan. But it's like... What's funny about this is that, like, if you go back through the last year, right, Ron Rivera told you, um, hey, you know, we're building it from the inside out, block by block, inside, offensive line, defensive line, we're going to get everything, then we're going to go get our quarterback. And then, you know, that was, then like three days later, we found out they had offered a first and a third for Matt Stafford. You know, and that they had been very active talking to other teams about quarterbacks. They wanted their quarterback, but they didn't get their quarterback. So let's talk about, you know, how that that wasn't the plan. You know, we got our plan. We go, we're building this thing inside out. Then we'll go get the quarterback. And, we'll, you know, and they got Ryan Fitzpatrick for the one year. Well, this year we're going out to get our quarterback and they offer a boatload. And you know what? I give them all the praise in the world for offering Seattle a boatload for Russell Wilson. But they didn't get Russell Wilson. They panicked. They didn't want to end up where Carolina is now. And they traded for a guy with tons of baggage. And they said, we got our guy. 
We got our guy. And they even called us to tell us what a great guy we were getting. I mean, I don't know, man. It's like there's a lot of revisionist, you know, history. There's a lot of, you know, twists and turns. And, you know, I don't – it's not – it's not that I hate it because it would be hypocritical of me to say that, you know, to really crush them for it because I've said also they're in the customer acquisition business. They've got to get people excited about this team. I mean, they lost Anheuser-Busch last week while I was away. You know, that's a 3 to $4 million account on, on the beer beverage category. I mean, that's a big deal for them. They have to be promoting. They've got to be marketing. They've got to create some excitement. So he's not going to come out and tell you that it's his third choice or that they were desperate. I understand that. But he's going to the lengths of, of like, really? Like, did you not say to Frank Reich, well, if he's so great, why are you trading him to us? (laughs) What's going on here? What am I missing? Why am I about to overpay for a guy that you love so much, but you're running off in you know after 12 months? Yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, Kathy uh, Kathy Bates was perfect. You know perfect I, like, as Joe like, Bennett, wasn't like, she? Like you, like yes, she is. <laughs> like you said, and I agree. There is a chance, however small. That he could be, he could get right, and he has talent. Yeah, and you know, those of you that have reached out to me to say he hasn't been working with much talent in the places he's been at, like 2020, it's true. I mean, the dude, you know, Greg Ward was essentially their number one receiver, you know, and he had a terrible year. I they know, did... but they had they had the best running game in the league last year. Oh, come no, on! You no, know, Indy had not, you know. They led the league in Pro Bowlers, and they didn't even make the playoffs. They had the know. you know the best running back, certainly the second best running back back behind Derrick Henry in the league. Um, you know, the, Jonathan Taylor was an MVP candidate. I think Michael Pittman's a very good receiver. Um, I think Quentin Nelson is the best offensive lineman or best guard in the league, and I know that they weren't healthy a lot of the year, but it wasn't an All Star supporting cast. I'll you know I'll give you that. Um, I think it's a good coaching staff, a hell of a coaching staff. I don't think he was without weapons, but you know, you could also point to the fact that he was twenty-seven and seven last year, touchdowns over interceptions. But as you know, uh, I, we talked about last week. You know, having pr- the guy from Pro Football Focus on, he also was way up there in turnover-worthy plays. And he also really choked big time in the biggest games of the year, the final two games of the year against the Raiders and then really against the Jags. But the Jaguars, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the, the other thing that I wanted to mention real quickly about this um, is this notion that because they traded a second and a third, swap spots in the second, took on a $28 million salary cap hit, that they can't then draft a quarterback, you know, in the first two rounds. They can't draft a future quarterback. And I, I wanted to just, you know, I watched some of the Malik Willis, you know, tape from Pro Day, his Pro Day yesterday, and, you know, he turned heads, as many of the Pro Days do with quarterbacks. And Kenny Pickett's hand size was a little bit bigger at his Pro Day two days ago than it was at the Indy Combine. 
I'll say what I said the day of the trade. If Washington's brass, Herney, Mayhew, Rivera, Turner, all of them, Polian, all of them, if they really like one of these quarterbacks and they think one of these quarterbacks has a big-time upside, a huge ceiling, they absolutely should draft the quarterback. You're basing your thought on they made this trade for Carson Wentz with the belief that they found their long-term answer at quarterback. And therefore, why would they draft a quarterback? I would agree with you if they had traded for Russell Wilson, 100%. But they didn't trade for Russell Wilson. They traded for Carson Wentz. And if they were so sure that Carson Wentz was beyond a one-year flyer, then they would have already restructured his contract to save money on this year's cap. Yes. So I... Absolutely, that's what they would have done. I think that if they like somebody a lot, they'll draft that somebody. And if they don't like somebody, they shouldn't. If they like somebody a lot and they don't draft him because they're worried about how poor little Carson Wentz is going to handle the competition because apparently he was not very thrilled in Philadelphia when they drafted Jalen Hurts, well, then that tells you all you need to know about the guy you have anyway. And I had a caller say to me this morning, Kevin, I agree with you, but they're already here. Now they've got to come up with a solution to what they have. And they've got to try to make this guy work. And if putting a young future starting quarterback in the building as a first or second rounder is going to upset him, then they shouldn't do it. I, oh, my gosh. There's some merit to that argument because they're already in this position. Look, I, I, I understand that. That was my argument about not drafting Kirk Cousins when they drafted RG3 at the same time. It was going to be uh, a security issue uh, for that particular guy. But I, I get that. But this guy, this guy, I mean, if, 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 the, if Carson Wentz's success and failure rides on the fact that of, of his fear over an incoming young quarterback, then like you said, you've got the wrong guy anyway. I know, but they already made that decision. You know, now they've got to try to make it work. So you pe- bypass the guy who you want? I wouldn't. I would tell him to man no. up. I would I say mean, you, you don't. You don't. You don't make one. You don't follow up a bad decision with another bad decision. Right. Although this team, that's the way they do business. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, Detroit Aikman get really upset when they drafted Steve Walsh. You know, in the first round of the supplemental draft. I mean, you know, the Kirk Cousins thing, you know how I felt in the moment. It was a fourth-round pick. I'm like, right. no, you, you, in this league, you need two. And so they understand that. I, did, I certainly didn't think Kirk Cousins at that point would eventually supplant RG3, but I just was of the right. opinion that, you know, there's a big difference between a first-rounder and a fourth-rounder, um, and it's not unusual when you take a quarterback in the first round and then maybe take one in a later round that year or the next year. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I, uh, I would say to him, you're going to have to deal with this because we believe in you. We're putting weapons around you, 
but we also have to protect our future and, you know, take into consideration the possibility that, you know, uh, I, I don't, you know what, I wouldn't know what to say uh, other than, you know what, you're the quarterback, you've come off two situations that weren't very, you know, pleasant at the end, and we're giving you a huge opportunity here. You're the starting quarterback, earn it and keep it, period. Don't tell us speaking, what to do in the draft. Of, speaking of weapons around him, have you seen the news that the Chiefs have given Tyreek Hill permission to seek a trade? Uh, not only that, I'm now seeing that the Dolphins have traded for Tyreek Hill. Oh, really? Yeah, that's uh, coming. Okay. Um, hold on. Yeah, it just as we're as we're recording this, it looks like the Chiefs uh, are going to deal him to uh to Miami. That's that's really that uh, that's that's incredible. I mean, Devontae Adams got traded last week to the Raiders while uh, yeah. while I was away. That blew me away. You know, it's like we want you Aaron, we want you Aaron, we want you back and then they give him all the money and then it's like you're the best receiver in the game. We're trading. And I know he's reuniting with his college quarterback and the whole thing. Um but I am surprised at that. Uh, here it is. Schefter, um, the Chiefs are trading six-time Pro Bowl wide receiver Tariq Hill to the Dolphins for five draft picks. A 2022 first-round pick, a second-round pick in 2022, and a fourth-round pick, as well as fourth and sixth-round picks in 2023. And what did Devontae Adams, the Packers, got back a first and a second? I think it was for Adams. Um... Is that that's more than the Packers got yeah. back for Adams? I think it is. Wow. Uh, I know. I would take. I think Adams is the best receiver in the league. I do, and I think Tariq Hill is also way up there. I wonder why they're moving on from Tariq Hill. Well, they couldn't. They said they couldn't negotiate a long-term deal with them. Yeah. Boy, you know, the Chiefs are interesting. You know, they um uh they they lose in the postseason to Cincinnati. Uh the the year was a weird year for them. At one point early in the year, this juggernaut of a team looked very ordinary. I made the comment that Mahomes at times looked bored. And um, then they put you know put it together at the end of the year. They didn't beat a lot of really good teams, and then they lost in the postseason. You know they beat Buffalo in that crazy all time playoff game, and then lost to the Bengals and Joe Burrow in overtime in the AFC title game. I mean they've won a Super Bowl and they've lost a Super Bowl with yeah. Mahomes, and they have. You know now with Miami's pick, where's Miami's pick? I, I forget where Miami's pick. It's in the top ten. Right, I think it is, um, and there are some receivers in this draft. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, back to my 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 personal opinion is that if Washington loves a quarterback, the trade for Carson Wentz should not at all prevent them from drafting a Malik Willis as an example. I think he does have a very high ceiling. I think there's a chance. I find it hard. I, I... I find it hard to believe that if they really like a guy, they'll pass on him. 
I think a lot of people believe that. And, you know, they could be just stubborn enough that they want to look like they are all in on Wentz and this is the the deal, but they should do what is right. Now, some people would say, no, that drafting a guy that you're not going to play for two years or a year is stupid. That would be the second straight year you blew your first round pick and it was a high, you know, decently, well, last year was 19 with Jamin Davis. Um, and you should take, you know, one of the corners or one of the receivers or even one of the offensive linemen at this point. Some of you want them to take an in- inside linebacker at 11. Um, I I disagree. I think they got to keep swinging for the high ceiling quarterbacks until they find the answer. And if they're being honest with themselves, the chances are Carson Wentz isn't the long-term answer. That's that's my position. Now, again, if they don't see Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral or Sam Howell or somebody like that as a high-ceiling guy, then don't pick them. Don't. I don't want them to pick a quarterback just for the sake of picking a quarterback. I mean, I if they thought Jimmy Garoppolo had a higher ceiling than anybody in the draft and they thought he had a really high ceiling, I'd rather see him spend a third on Jimmy Garoppolo because that's what it looks like he's going to go for now. San Francisco is not getting yeah. any kind of big offers for them. I wouldn't do that. I'm not saying I would, but my point being, I only want high ceiling guys until they find the right guy. And so if there's a high ceiling guy in this draft and he's there at 11 or in the second round when they get there, take him. Two, first two rounds wouldn't prevent me at all from taking him. Boy, Tariq Hill dealt to the Dolphins. So the Dolphins, who had nothing at wide receiver. I mean, you can talk about Tua not being the right guy all you want, and that may be true, but he was working with nothing offensively the last couple of years. So now they have Tariq Hill. They've got a new head coach in Mike McDaniel, one of the more interesting people out there. They've got Will Fuller. Um... Who else do they have? They have the big Penn State tight end that I love, Gasecki. Uh, yeah. Oh, Jalen Waddle. They added, obviously, Waddle was the guy last year. You know, they had one guy in Waddle last year. Okay. Uh, can we talk about Kevin Willard? Yes, let's do that. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't cost you a thing. And the thing that you guys have been doing a great job of, and it's so appreciated, is rate us and review us on Spotify and Apple specifically. Most of you are listening to this podcast on your iPhone. Uh, If you haven't rated us five stars or written a one to two sentence review, take 30 to 60 seconds and do it. It's such a major help for us on the revenue side. It's the combination of the number of people listening along with the ratings and reviews that drive the advertising opportunities for us. Um, Several of you have written in uh, this from Tired Tired Con um, via Apple Podcasts. I listen to the show every day. Kevin and his regular lineup of co-hosts are great and mix things up throughout the week. I love it when he and Tom go back and forth. I'd love to buy Tom a beer. Hey, what about me? Even though I'm pretty sure <laughs> he'd want nothing to do with my politics. Um, this from uh, DCH, exceptional perspective commentary. This is not a variety show for dudes. This is deep analysis and discussion of Washington sports. I tend to listen when something happens with Washington football when the team plays there's no better place in this podcast to hear a breakdown um uh there're just so many nice um i run the kevisms twitter this is from Abby via Apple. Kevin Sheehan has provided enough intellectual and philosophical content to fill the Library of Congress, Congress, which is what we <laughs> intend to do with his sayings. Yes, my sons <laughs> showed me your Twitter account. There's also... It's uh, great. Oh, my God. There's also one that's so embarrassing. The, the one that's... Um, it might be the same person. And I appreciate, by the way, the support. I really do. But there's one Twitter account that says that is Kevin Sheehan is God. Have you seen that one? <laughs> Have you seen that yet? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. Please, it might be this same guy. Um, you know what? I've never known who this was. Abby RGGV Apple Podcast. I do appreciate, by the way your support and i appreciate the fact that you love the show and i have no problem with you coming up with you know my scenario uh sayings um for a twitter account uh, at all uh kevin and tom from justin been listening to kevin for close to 20 years well 
I guess it is getting closer to 20 years. It's more like 17 or 18. Found the podcast right after he went off 980 for a short period of time. Pretty much the only thing I listen to now for Redskins News. Usually love Tom too, but he gets my blood boiling every time he talks about Corona and the vaccine. Uh, I watched Dope Sick per your recommendation. It was great. Amazing how Tom can't see the correlation between that show and Corona. He is blind. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Let's not weigh in on that. I don't feel like dealing with that right now. But thank you all for the reviews. Don't forget to spend just, I'm telling you, 30 to 60 seconds on Apple in particular to rate us and review us. Five stars preferably and a one uh, to two sentence review. Lots of stuff in here too that's very positive about Cooley being on the show um, and I appreciate uh, that. And some of you writing in to say how much you enjoyed Tim and Aaron last week and that's very nice uh, as well. So, Kevin Willard is the new Maryland basketball coach. So how should I feel about that, Tommy? Uh, I think he can coach. I mean, you could have gotten a guy who you said, well, you know, I mean, this guy can't coach. I mean, I think we've seen enough of him to think that, that he can coach. I think that the program, and I think the fans that I know, and you're much more plugged in than I, than I am on this, I don't think the expectations were high for, to get a high-profile hire. And I think that some fans have just said, well, you know what? He's a Big East guy. He did a good job at Seton Hall. And, uh, you know, he, he at least he knows, at least he seems to know the game. I, I, I sensed uh, a level of uh, malaise satisfaction that had, that had basically started. You know, well, you know, that's our guy. I, um, I think I'm going to like Kevin Willard. Personally, I think you're going to like Kevin Willard personally. Just a hunch. You know, he's a Northeastern guy. He's, uh, during his press conference, he was on with me on radio this morning too, and he was great. Um, uh, during his press conference, he said at one point, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a guy's guy. I'd love to have a beer with a lot of you. In fact, I'd like to get a beer within the, within the next hour. Um, and so I've heard he's an outstanding golfer, outstanding golfer. Um, but, you know, he's a Northeastern guy with, I think, a dry sense of humor, quick wit. Um, he's a good coach. He's been a good coach. I'm just going to be really candid here. I, uh, the only thing I care about, it, th- this is the team, you know, along with the football team, I guess, but l- a lot less passionate than, than I used to be. I'm just going to be super supportive because I just want Maryland basketball to be great. And I want it to be great, and I don't care about the disagreements within the fan base over the last coach. I just want this to be the right hire. But I think I disagree with you on the expectations. I think that this hire is not the reignition of the fan base, the spark that's going to start selling season ticket packages overnight that some people were hoping for uh, when you know Mark and Damon uh, decided to part ways back in December. And that's really the right way to describe it. I want to be clear on that. The right way to describe what happened in December was a mutual parting of the ways 
because there was great excitement, I think, on the athletic director's part and probably great relief on the coach's part that they were parting ways. Would I have preferred him to stick out the year? Yes, and I've said that before. I think at some point down the road he will realize that he wishes he had been able to stick out the year. Um, But that's enough on that. Uh, I don't think that when they parted ways in December that a significant part of the fan base thought Kevin Willard. I think they were thinking Nate Oates. They were thinking Eric Musselman. They were thinking Rick Pitino, who, by the way, was what I was hoping for. Um, but that was a non-starter with the, t- with the school president. They were not going to go after any coach with any kind of baggage. I think that was a mistake. I think Patino would have sold out the arena within, you know, within 72 hours. I think he would have had this team in the top 20 next year and the top 10 the year after and competing for a national championship, you know, in a New York minute. I really do. Um, but this guy, by the way, is from the Rick Patino tree. We'll get to him in a moment. But I think that the hire is for a majority of the fan base probably uninspiring. That doesn't mean that that the school's wrong in hiring him. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be a great coach. That not that that doesn't mean that he's not going to be the next Gary Williams. But in terms of the reaction, I think I disagree with you. I think most people back in December expected something big. Now, I think Kevin Willard has been on the short list many times. He's considered to be a really good coach. He's won a Big East regular season title. He's won a Big East conference title. He's got, Tommy, how about this, the best record of any coach in recent years against Big Ten teams. He's got a winning record against Big Ten teams. He's won 11 times, five of them on the road, twice against Maryland. I think one of those games, if not both of them, were coming off uh, final exams, and they had been off for like 13 days and were playing their first game. I know Maryland was ranked in the top 10 one of the years that they lost to Seton Hall. But um, that, w- that would be the way that I would kind of guess the, the majority of the fan base is receiving it. With that said, I think that there was so much staleness, so much ready to move on from Turgeon that there is going to be some level of excitement for uh, for Kevin Willard. But I want to point this out. Kevin Willard's resume, Kevin Willard's style, is very similar to Mark Turgeon's resume and style. Actually, Turgeon's resume is a lot better. You know, Willard had a losing record in the Big East when he was at Seton Hall. Now, he's taken six of his last seven teams to the tournament, if you count 2020, which is the way, same way I counted Turgeon, six of the last seven. And Seton Hall was dead when Kevin Willard took the program over. He's done a terrific yeah. job there. But Turgeon's, you know, record was close to 600 in the Big Ten. He was the third winningest coach in the Big Ten while Maryland was in the Big Ten behind his own painter. He was 5-5 five and five in the NCAA tournament. Kevin Willard's 1-5 in the NCAA tournament at Seton Hall. They got blown out last week by 27 points. Stylistically, Willard is considered to be a very good defensive coach with tough defensive teams, um, but offensively not necessarily where they look as pretty. 
you know, that's that's the same criticism of Turgeon, pace of play, you know, offense. Now, if you look at the Ken Palm numbers with Willard, there are years where he's had high pace of play and other years where he's had low pace of play. And he told me on radio this morning, look, offensively, I adapt to the talent I have. I love that answer. I, I My criticism of Mark was twofold. One, I didn't think he scheduled uh, a hard enough in the non-conference, which, by the way, Willard does. You know, I think Maryland's going to play in Maui. They're going to play, you know, in in the Bahamas and Atlantis. They're going to play in some of these big holiday tournaments, which, you know, Turgeon didn't necessarily schedule. I mean, Willard's really been a big-time non-conference scheduler, playing everybody, anywhere, by the way. Uh, That's what Gary did. Um, So that'll be good to see. Um, But uh, the... um, you know, stylistically, it, you know, they they are probably pretty similar in the way they coach. I think you're right. I think you're right. But, I mean, look, Turgeon had the problem of following Gary. You know, and he wasn't Gary in a lot of ways. Uh, look, I'm betting you at one point every, every Maryland fan in the DMV has had a beer with Gary. I'm thinking that hasn't <laughs> happened with Turgeon. Oh, I think more people than you would know have had a beer with Mark. Mark's a, Mark is actually, a, and I know people have said, oh, you're friends with him. It's not like I'm friends, friends with him. We're friends. I like Mark. I like the family a lot. Uh, I think he's a really good guy, and he's got a very good sense of humor. And you absolutely can, you know, grab a beer, you know, or a Tito's and soda with Mark, a hundred percent. But I know what you're saying. You know, is 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 Mark going to be at Bentley's after the game for three hours? Probably not. <laughs> and Gary was so. In his early years, so anyway. I just think it was a it was a tough act to follow uh, for for Turgeon, and uh, there's enough. a lot more distance now that'll make it easier for Kevin Willis. Willard is his name. Um, that's what I meant. <laughs> I know. I think that's a good point. I think it's like you know, it's hard to follow. You know, it's pretty amazing, isn't it, that Maryland's had two, Maryland has two Hall of Fame basketball coaches. Lefty yeah. and Gary are in the basketball Hall of Fame, not the college basketball Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame. Yes. And I liked, you know, he was on with me this morning. I watched his press conference. I liked a lot of what he said. You know, he talked about Maryland being a top 10 job. There are two other things I didn't mention. Number one, they're paying him. You know, Turgeon's compensation was 28th in the country, middle of the pack in the Big Ten. Uh, Maryland stepped up for the first time in a while, and they weren't going to get a guy like Willard without stepping up. You know, he's going to average over $4 million per year. Uh, he is, uh, you know, near the top of the Big Ten, top 15 to top 20 nationally in compensation. If you want to be a top 10 job, which is what he said this is, and I think in many ways it is, not a top 10 program right now, the distinction we've made before you know, it's been a top 10 to 15, top 20-ish job, not program, although it's been top 25 tournament year in and year out, you know, even under Turgeon, who's been ranked pretty high at various times during his time in, in uh, College Park. But you got to pay the job. Uh, you got to build the practice facility, which was it was announced yesterday that they're going to break ground, um, you know, I think next year. 
on the new practice facility. They raised the $40 million bucks to build that. They need that. They haven't had that. They've been one of the only Power 5 conference teams not to have it. Um, and the other comment that I wanted to make is, you know, I'll tell you what, these search firms that are get, that are getting these huge fees from college uh, athletic departments for helping them find coaches, that's a good that's a damn good business because anybody that's would have had scam. Kevin Willard on the list day 1. I know, that's a good business to get into, absolutely. Uh, but I think I'm going to like him, totally supportive. I just want it to work. Um, it's uh, it's it's a big deal for Maryland basketball to be good. I think it's good for the area. Um, we didn't have a college basketball team in the area in the NCAA tournament this year. You know, it's always been good for the area when you know Maryland and Georgetown, in particular, have been you know powerhouses in college basketball uh, because we haven't had it a lot with the pro team in town. Um, over the years. Not enough of it, that's for sure. Uh, One last thing to finish up with when we come back, uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This segment of the podcast brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.com. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. They've got everything you need for the Sweet 16 and the rest of the March Madness uh, games uh, and all of the futures uh, opportunities for the NFL are available. MyBookie, use my promo code, KevinDC. DC. By the way, the money on the extension with Miami for Tariq Hill is coming all in. Four-year extension worth $120 million with $72.2 million guaranteed. I think I can do the math on four years and $120 million. That's $30 million a year for a wide receiver. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. That re- that really is. You know, it's like we. You know what? There's there's no there's no lack of money in this league right now, is there? Imagine no. if there wasn't a salary cap. Devontae Adams's deal, <clears throat> I think, it was for twenty eight million a year. But the, uh, you know, it's funny. You get this deal with a guy with a history of domestic issues. You get the Deshaun Watson trade, which I have not talked about um, after being out last week. 
to Cleveland for a deal worth $230 million of it with more guaranteed money than any deal in the history of the league. <clears throat> Not only that, a contract that protected him in year one against any kind of suspension with a low base salary of like a million bucks, which is amazing. Um, I, I mean, I was blown away that it ended up being Cleveland. Uh, the compensation was, I think, kind of right where we thought it would be, maybe a little bit less. Um, but it was the you know the extension that completely blew everybody away. I mean, two hundred and thirty million dollars for Deshaun Watson with twenty two civil lawsuits. You know, it's like the know. it's like the the last two major deals, Watson and Hill, with their you know with their background. Hill with leg, a legitimate background. Obviously, the Watson stuff. Um, you know, he has not been charged with anything he hasn't been convicted of anything and not one of these 22 civil uh cases have been settled yet so you know we'll 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 see on that but still big risk um on that thing uh what did you think of the deshaun watson trade uh look i i think that any team that took on deshaun watson is 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 going to take a hit it may be less for some than for others, business-wise. I think you're going to turn off a segment of your of your fan base. It may be a small segment, but I think you you have to acknowledge that you're going to turn them off. And success on the field will obviously diminish that, if not make it disappear. Uh, I thought Washington was the one team that couldn't get into Deshaun Watson business. I think that this franchise, even though they're they're incapable of it, need to do everything they can to repair their reputation, even though they're, that's, that's an impossible task. Yeah, except they were interested in Deshaun Watson. <clears throat> I know. I know. I know they were. You know, on some level, once they knew that Deshaun Watson wasn't a possibility, I wonder if there would have been some benefit on their you know, you probably would have found out that they had expressed interest anyway, and then they would have looked like, um, you know, they would have looked like liars. But on some level, it probably would have benefited them. I mean, the Giants essentially did that. That You know, the Maras said no interest in Deshaun Watson. Um, for a team like Washington, You're given, right. given their You're situation, right. maybe they should have come out when they knew they had no chance of, of getting Deshaun Watson and saying, yeah, we're not interested in Deshaun Watson. We are... You're right. There might have been some benefit to that. Maybe. Although they could have been busted on that with a report that said Washington reached out to Houston to find (laughs) out whether or not Deshaun Watson would be interested in coming to Washington uh, and waiving his no-trade clause for Washington. Uh, Who knows? Um, You know, that's one of those where you should have anticipated that he was never going to come here in the first place and never reached out to Houston and then just said, no, no. we are not going to trade for a player with this kind of civil lawsuit, um, you know, uh, 22 civil lawsuits with sexual misconduct, sexual assault claims hanging around. It's just not who we are anymore. You know, something like that may have benefited them. I don't know. Uh, you know what? You know what is best for them is to talk very little about anything. Yeah. Losing, yeah. losing that Anheuser-Busch thing, Tommy, is a big deal. I had somebody text me last week the story 
somebody who really understands this stuff that said this is a big loss. Like, this is the big one. You know, your beer beverage category people, and they had an exclusive. Uh, this was a th- this was a big loss. You know, I, I don't know where they are specifically on the business side, season ticket packages, sponsorships. I know it's not great. You know, I had, I've had somebody call me and tell me that things are up from where they've been, but you, you compare it to a pandemic, you know, season of 2020. And the truth is, going into 2021, that entire offseason, nobody knew for sure if there were going to be, you know, fans at games. So every number right. for 2022 is going to be up compared to 2020 and 2021, you know, but it's still, you're still talking about bottom of the barrel in terms of season ticket holders in the league. And the corporate sponsor stuff is a big deal. But anyway, um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you about the baseball thing um, that I read this morning about the Players Association and the league agreeing to the rule tweaks that they, you know, that they're going to become permanent. The expansion of rosters, the placement of an automatic runner on second base during extra innings, and pitchers remaining in the lineup. This is the Otani rule. Pitchers remaining in the lineup after they've been replaced on the mound, so they can still bat if they were replaced uh, as a pitcher. Um, what do you think of this? I, I don't care about the latter or the former. I just think it's way too gimmicky, this runner on second base in the beginning of extra innings to try to limit somehow the super long games. I think it's disappointing that the players want it. You know? Uh, I mean, it, it kind of illustrates that, uh, you know, for all their talk about protecting the game and caring about the game, I mean, and they, you know, it's human nature. Ultimately, what they care about is themselves, and uh, that's fine. But don't go. Don't talk about during the negotiations how you're trying to protect the game from what the owners are doing, and then try and then tell everybody that, and then tell the owners that you want this rule in place where you have a, a runner starting on second, so you don't have to play more than nine inning games. You know that's disappointing. Well. You, but, you mean, uh, well, they started in the 10th inning. Right, 10th inning. Yeah, well, more than nine inning games. That would be the 10th inning. Right. So. I mean, was, was there data that's, that – because they played with that in the regular season here the last two years. Is there data that says that the length of games, of extra inning games, is much shorter with the runner that starts in second versus not? If both teams get that opportunity, it just seems to me that <laughs> – that it wouldn't have changed the actual length of the game um, as much, meaning you know you're not going to end up with kind of this overusage of pitchers in particular in a long game. If there's data out there, I'm not I'm not aware of it. Okay. Uh, and I think most fans at this point they just say just shut up and play, just just play, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. haven't had a full season of, of, you know, a worthy season that people have been able to go to the ballpark for every game, you know, without worrying about limited attendance and things like that in two years now. They just want to see the game. Right. Agreed. <clears throat> um, and, you know, the thing is, I mean, to me, 
the lack of debate or passion about the DH being in being now in the National League kind of indicated to me that you know the same passion for baseball isn't there anymore. I think it's still a healthy, but trust me, I still think it's far healthier sport than most of its critics think it is. Okay, but in terms of the kind of thing where DHs. Uh, I remember growing up and the argument about the DH, you know, was something where people would get in vehement debates about in bars and stuff like that. I think people are just kind of, you know, tired of it and just want to see the baseball. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not as passionate as it used to be. So people are not going to get worked up about pretty much anything. You think the Nats are going to be good this year, don't you? Well, you know what? That was before the 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 Phillies signed Nick Castellano mm-hmm. and uh, Castellano, and the Braves signed Kelsey Jansen. Uh, yeah, look, they they'd have to have a they'll have to have a lot of things right go right pitching wise for them to be good. I think they'll score some runs. I think they'll have a good offense. Okay, but right now they don't really have a third baseman of note. Carter Keyboom is out with an elbow injury. He won't begin to be able to begin to get the start of the season. And you got Mikhail Franco, uh, who was a cast-off. Uh, last time we saw him with the Orioles two years ago, he was terrible. So they don't really have a third baseman. And they would need Strasburg and Corbin to be normal. Not to be exceptional, just to be normal for them to compete. And right now, Strasburg may not even be ready for the start of the season. Last thing on the show today. Um, did I tell you, I don't know, a few months back, I I kind of remember us having this conversation, and I, I just want to know if we had this conversation or not, that I was eating animal crackers on one of the days before our podcast, and then we talked about it on the podcast, I think. Do you remember that or not? Yes. You do? I remember that, absolutely. Okay, so... Yes. So I, I, I'm not, um, I'm not uh, dreaming that that was a conversation that we had. The only reason I bring it up is because I'm staring at a box of animal crackers that I'm going to eat when this show is over today. You know what happened is I went to Safeway, and this happened before. And every once in a while, in sort of that point-of-sale impulse purchase area of a supermarket, you know, in the checkout lanes, and these are now in the... Um, you know, in, in the uh, self-checkout lanes, uh, there was a big old barrel of animal crackers. And as I was checking out, I saw it and I just turned and grabbed a box and just scanned it and threw it into the bag with everything else that I had. And I'm looking forward to eating these animal crackers. So I just wanted well, to... Well, you know what? I hope Animal Crackers is listening and sends you a bunch of boxes. That would be great. I mean, you know, yes. they're not, they're, I guess I'm looking at this seven grams of sugar, but they, they're two servings in each um, thing. So 14 grams of sugar, I, they're not good for you, but what is it about animal crackers that every time I see them, I want to buy them? They're kind of good. I don't know. Yeah. I, it was never one of my favorites when I was a kid, but I liked them, but not one of my favorites. We did do this on the show. Now I'm remembering because it morphed into a long conversation about cookies in general. 
And, yes. and, and in fact, you told me what your favorite cookie was. And I was not familiar with what your favorite cookie was. And people were shocked that I had never heard of your favorite cookie. Will you tell me what it was again? Lorna Dunes. Lorna Dunes. Yeah. Yes. And so now when I see them in the cookie aisle, I'm, I always look at them and I'm like, huh. Because they're, they're more kind of a shortbread kind of a cookie. And I'd never had yes. heard of them before, never had heard of them before. But now when I see them, and I think when I walked through a supermarket and saw them after that conversation a few months back, um, I said, oh, there's Tom's cookie, the Lorna Dunes. Yeah. They're kind of boring. Why didn't you buy me a box? They're kind of boring, aren't they? You walked by, you saw them, you said, there's Tom's cookies. You didn't say, let me buy him a box and I'll send it well, to him. Well, if you were if you're coming in, I would. I might do that. I might do that. You know, um, I might have to. You know, I'm due for I'm due for a visit. You are due for a visit. If you visit, that means yes. we we get lunch afterwards, and we yes. do it on like a Friday. So if we have lunch afterwards, so we, can we can start <laughs> drinking and not have to worry about work the next morning. All right, we're done okay. for the day. We're back. Uh, Tommy will be back Friday of this week, unless you tell me you can't do Friday. I can't do Friday. I'll be back tomorrow. You'll be back tomorrow then. There you go. Tom, he'll be with me tomorrow. I'll have somebody else on Friday. Have a great day. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.